Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Hey there, it's Devin. A couple of weekends ago, the Bay and Snap Judgment presented a live show all about Northern California wildfires, how they tore through cities and homes last year on October 8th. In that show, we spoke with people who have to think about these fires every year, whether they have to evacuate their homes or they're fighting on the front lines. Today, we're bringing you one of the conversations from the show. Here it is. So for most people, when the fires hit, it means that it's time to get out, it's time to leave. But for journalists, for reporters, you try to get as close as you possibly can to the fires, to document everything you can in the time that you have. Don't get too close, Ken. Don't get too close. I, I can't get in there, it's too hot. Inferno here. It's just insane. It's too much. I want to welcome to the stage two reporters that are part of the team who won the 2018 Pulitzer Prize for breaking news with the Santa Rosa Press Democrat, Julie Johnson and Martin Espinoza. So Martin, I want to start with you because I know you were monitoring the fires starting at 10.30 p.m. and you would never go to bed that night. Take, take me through the first few hours of your day, your night. Yeah, I, I got the first Nixle alert at about 10.30 and um, the, obviously like everybody else, I was just trying to figure out, spent the first few hours uh, listening to the scanner, the police scanner on my phone. Uh, posting things to uh, Facebook, and my my boss must have known that I posted something on Facebook because he texted me a half hour later and, and asked, "Are you are you still up?" And that's that's a question that an editor asks when he wants somebody to come in. Uh, he, I realize he was probably doing that to everybody in 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 the newsroom, um, but those first few hours were just trying to figure out how bad it was, and. Um, I didn't want to believe that it was that bad. Um, the skies were already turning red, glowing orange. Uh, There's a lot of smoke in the neighborhood. I, I live in Rincon Valley, which is not, which is off Calistoga Road. Um, and people at that hour it must have been one o'clock. People were already dying, and thousands of people were fleeing fire. 
running away from fire. And I was still, you know, had no way of knowing that. Um, and I still didn't want to believe that it was that bad. But when it became obvious, then I got my son up. I woke him up, 11-year-old son. And I woke up the neighbors across the street. I evacuated my neighborhood like everybody else in the neighborhood and got my son to my sister-in-law's house in, in downtown Santa Rosa. And uh, then I just went to work from there. It was around 3.45 when I finally got 3.45. And Julie, I know you were, you were in the station, you were in the uh, news station at that time, right? Yeah, this, um, I woke up, the smoke filled my house. And um, so that's how I woke up the stench, and I heard propane tanks exploding. And I got to work, um, made coffee, made arrangements for my son, got to work, and um, no one else was there except editor and editor, um, Ted Apple. And um, it was so quiet in there, which now I now know was completely unlike what it was like um, out there. And um, my first call, my job was to figure out what the hell was going on. And my first call was to a veteran firefighter I know well, and he picked up right away, Jack, and he said, he just started ticking off what was gone. Um, Mark West Springs, Lark Field, Fountain Grove, Kenwood, Glen Ellen. He said the fire had already crossed six lanes of concrete, Highway 101, and was burning Coffee Park. He was standing in front of Kmart, and he said the pizza parlor's gone, and he just kept naming things that were gone, and said, um, we don't have the help we need. And I, Martin, I know that part of your job that night was basically to document what you could, and you saw some of his uh, Facebook live feed at the beginning of this segment, and I actually want to play another clip from what you took that night. There's a couple, there's a couple firefighters right down there watering, uh, trying, to, trying to hold the, the fire, trying to keep it from crossing that road there. But it's just burning. It's trying to get across. Over here on your left, this is the mobile home park. This is the mobile home park. Okay, so that's, and that's Round Barn up there. Round Barn, an hour and a half ago. What a, just whole blocks gone. Cars, oh my god. Cars in their driveway. Skeleton. Just, just everything. This is unbelievable. You can hear it in your voice. Uh, you almost don't have words for, for what you're seeing. Uh, what, was your, what was your job that night? What were you trying to do? I was just trying to keep the video going. Um, we, that first scene was we were on top of the Kaiser parking lot, and that was the entire overlooking um, a mobile home park. And the entire mobile home park was on fire, with the exception of a couple of rows pretty close to the, to the, to the parking lot. And I'd never seen anything like that. Um, just so much fire. And then I could see across the, the, uh, the freeway, Highway 101, uh, the, 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 the west side of town, uh, in Coffee Park and the Kmart, and that was all burning. So it was, it was just overwhelming. It was, um, it was emotional. I, I, I tried to kind of hold, to keep it together while I was videotaping. My, my job was just to show people what was what was happening because all those areas had been evacuated from Kaiser I met up with Kent Porter you know one of our veteran photographers and we went to Coffee Park and then from Coffee Park we went to Fountain Grove and all I just just saw I it was unimaginable I I'd never seen anything like that just so much 
destruction. I just kept saying the same things over and over again. Whole blocks are gone. Everything is gone. And th this is a Facebook Live. Were people commenting to you during this? Yeah. The, during the Facebook Live, uh, because Kent, Kent Porter used to be a, a volunteer firefighter before he became a, a photographer, and he would gear up in all of his, all of his uh, fire gear, and he would just go straight into, the, into these streets where both sides were burning. And, and, and so I had people telling me, some of them were my, my relatives actually saying, get away from that guy, he's crazy. <laughs> and, and, and other people were getting angry at me that I wasn't picking up a water hose and helping to fight these. I mean, there was just no fighting that. Julie, I know you were collecting stories from people also in, in the day, but also days afterwards. What were you hearing people's experiences being? Sure. One of my jobs um, later in the week was to, to develop an understanding of how the Tubbs fire spread and all the experiences people um, went through. And so, you know, um, you know, a woman told me about waking up because something smacked the side of her house. The hillside was on fire. Her husband had had a stroke and was in a hospital bed. So she had to, you know, pick him up, get him into the wheelchair, get him out onto a deck, um, they lived on a hill, so there was a wheelchair lift, no power, so she had to figure out how to do it manually. It was an electric lift, and, you know, embers and debris is just hitting her in the face, and she's cranking this thing, and it's, it's barely moving, and um, the, the sky is growing lighter. It's, you know, it's in the middle of the night, and um, but she gets him down, she gets in the car. Um, I talked to a f another firefighter I know who um, was was up in the thick of it in the hills um, off Mark West, and a tree fell on, you know, partly fell on his rig. So he had to get out and re was repairing a window, and he heard this woman yelling for help. And so he, you know, was able to find her and get her in the car and taped up the window and on his way. And he said, you know, if she might have died had I not had that tree. People were really turning to the Press Democrat, too. I know people called, called your phone, right? Your, your work yeah. phone. Yeah. Your name was on the bottom of every, the article, the first article you put out, your name right. and number. So I was you know, writing that first story, trying to figure out, where are these fires? So I'm placing all these calls to every firefighter I could think of. And, um, and I'm also getting all these calls from people saying, my grandma lives on this road, my, yeah, I'm out of town, my wife is there, you know, is my house still standing? And I just, I took down names and numbers and streets of everybody and I said, I'll get back to you if I can. And at that time, I was still, as we all were, trying to understand how big these fires were. And that list grew very long and I, you know, I didn't get to call any of them back. Well, the Press Democrat has written hundreds of stories since then, and I've always been curious, how do you decide what to cover in those first few days, but then also the weeks after the fire? I mean, is this, do they just pop up, or do you guys have a coordinated plan? Well, Julie described it as whack-a-mole. I, you know, you, it's, it's, it was over, I mean, look at that. It, it, one of those blocks would have been, would have been stories in the press Democrat for a month. There was, there, we had no script for covering something like that. We just, we just, every day it was something new. One of the biggest, one of the things we had to do was try to get an assessment of the damage. That's, the next day my boss sent me up to Fountain Grove and he says, yeah, just your job is to get an assessment of, of the destruction. And so I was up, this is not Fountain Grove, but I was up 
in Fountain Grove and everywhere I looked was like that. And I said, and he would say, so, so what's, what's gone? What streets? And I thought that was a joke. I mean, I just, I just said, and I was a little annoyed. I said, it's all gone. There's nothing there. And so it was just difficult. It was difficult to, to, to decide what stories to do. I, I, I did feel like it was kind of chaotic. It was very chaotic in the beginning. Yeah. yeah, and it what on the day three, uh, one of our county supervisors' homes burned. So this was like such a moving target for so many days, and people were evacuated for weeks. And and so you know, as the local paper, people turned to us for very practical information in in terms, as well as all the bigger stories you're trying to tell of the heroism and the experience. So uh, you obviously are not just reporters in, in the Santa Rosa area, you're also living in, in the area. What's it been like over the last year as Santa Rosa's tried to rebuild the conversations either at the supermarket or just with people that you find on stories? What, what have they been like? Well, it's part, it's part of every interaction that you have. Um, you know, you're in the grocery store line and you, you talk to the checker and you find ways to like suss out if your house their house is still standing or if they lost somebody and you're just kind of like checking in with someone because it plays into everything I talked to a prosecutor last week at the courthouse and we were like hey haven't seen you in a while is he, did you did you lose your house you know it's 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 part of everything but there's also this huge chasm between people who lost homes and people who didn't and then people who lost people and people who didn't um there, I spent some time with a woman who lost her mother in the fire, and um, you know you can't you can't rebuild a person. You can rebuild a house, but you can't rebuild a person. And not only did she lose her mother, but her 16-year-old daughter was dying of cancer, so she lost her mother at a time when she needed her most. So we have this number 44, but that doesn't encapsulate the loss in any way. There's a, there's a saying that became popular after the, after the fires, Sonoma Strong. And for some of the people that lost a loved one, uh, they just can't connect with that because Sonoma Strong has significance for those who are building, rebuilding. But like Julie said, you can't rebuild a life. And so there is a big, big difference between those who lost a loved one, those who lost a home, those who were evacuated, and then, and then most of the people in Sonoma County who just saw it from afar, but there's plenty of empathy. Everybody feels for, for what happened. Um, but a year later, I think a lot of people have moved on, and, uh, and, and when you speak to some of the people that, are, that have lived the, we're talking more about it now because of the anniversary, but for a lot of the people that lost a house or a loved one, every day has been an anniversary for them. Every day has been this event. And uh, at least one of the people that I talked to who lost a house said, you know, on that day, on October 8th, I don't want to think about it. I just want that day to be free of, of the, uh, of I think the fire. that I think that says a lot. I think that's actually a, a really important thing to take into consideration. The October 8th uh, anniversary is coming up. Um, thank you so much for joining us. I want to actually go out with another video of yours. In the day, I think, believe this is the day after the fire. You were still on Facebook Live. And uh, can we play the video? Any of you watching, my heart goes out to you guys. I'm really sorry. 
maybe watching used to live here. I just uh, I woke up this morning with a really, really heavy heart and uh, just uh, can't describe it. Just a sickening feeling. I'm so sorry. nothing here. Julie Johnson and Martin Espinosa of the Santa Rosa Press Democrat, thank you very much. Thank you so much to everybody who came out to support the Fire Tape Show, and thanks to those of you who streamed us live on Facebook that night. If you still want to see the show, you can check out the link in our episode notes, or you can go to KQED's Facebook page and search the Fire Tapes. The Bay would like to do more live storytelling shows in the future, so stay tuned, or you can follow our hashtag TheBayKQED on Twitter. The Fire Tapes was produced by The Bay and KQED and Snap Judgment. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for The Bay. See you next time. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.